Exodus chapter 14. We're actually going to be going through several chapters in Exodus. Exodus 14 actually through 16, I believe, we'll get uh, through to today. And um, what I want to start out doing is just reading some portion of scriptures, okay? And I want you to see the flow of these scriptures to start with, and then I'll make my point, give you the title of the message, and we'll get, we'll get rolling. So if you would, look at Exodus chapter 14, beginning in verse 9. Beginning in verse 9, Exodus chapter 14, verse 9. It says, But the Egyptians pursued after them all the horses and chariots of Pharaoh and his horsemen, and his army, and overtook them encamping by the sea beside Pehiroth before Baal-Saphon. And when Pharaoh drew nigh, the children of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians marched after them, and they were sore afraid. And the children of Israel cried out unto the Lord. And they said unto Moses, Because there was no graves in Egypt, hast thou taken us away to die in the wilderness? Where? For hast thou dealt us with us to carry us forth out of Egypt? Is not this the word that we did tell thee in Egypt, saying, Let us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it had been better for us to serve the Egyptians than that we should die in the wilderness. And Moses said unto the people, Fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today. Ye shall see them again. And I want to emphasize these words. No more forever. No more forever. Exodus. Turn to Exodus 15.1. Okay, so here they, first of all, they're trapped in the sea. The Egyptians are after them. they got this big sea in front of them. Can't move anywhere. Uh, they're blaming Moses, they want to go back. It says in Exodus 15.1, we see the next, uh, what should I say, scene that we see here. And I want you to see the progression here. Then sang Moses and the children of Israel this song unto the Lord, and spake, saying, I will sing unto the Lord, for he hath triumphed gloriously. The horse and his rider hath he thrown into the sea. So the next scene we see is deliverance, and if you can read the first part of that, chapter 15, you're going to see where the people, I mean, they were prophesying, I mean, they were just rejoicing, uh, yeah, they were dancing, <laughs> and they were having a time of it, it was a mountaintop, they went from a valley to a mountain. Exodus 15, 22, after all that. So Moses brought Israel from the Red Sea, and they went out into the wilderness of Shur. And they went three days in the wilderness and found no water. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? And he cried. And, and, and let me stop there. Here they are in another situation, another valley. This is after they've been delivered. And he cried unto the Lord, and the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And that's going to be a common word. It seems to be the common word of today. Even Brother Mike used this word about proving and prove. All right, there he proved 
them and said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God and will do that which is right in his sight and will give ear to his commandments and keep all his statutes, I will put none of these diseases upon thee which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. Now here's another mountaintop. Okay? Uh, and, and to conclude that mountaintop, it says, And they came to Elam in verse 27, where were twelve wells of water and threescore and ten palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. All right, so now they're in a vacation place. It sounds like palm trees, wells of water, just really nice. Now, Exodus 16.1, And they took their journey from Elam, and the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the ch children of Israel, guess what we're doing? We just came through a high top, but we're going to come down here. Murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness, and the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the flesh pots, and when we did eat bread to the full, for ye have brought us unto this wilderness, or into this wilderness, to kill this whole assembly with hunger. But then in verse 4 of chapter 16, Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day, that I may prove them, whether they will walk in my law or no. Now, each of these events, as I said, is it's a series of highs and lows events in, in the life of these people. Mountains and valleys, you might say. But God had a process that he was giving his people for their benefit. You know, a lot of times people say, you get saved, everything goes... No, don't you believe that for a second. Things aren't going to get smooth. They might get rougher, as a matter of fact. God brings us through a process of proving. Though he would prove himself unmistakably, everything he says and he does, there's no mistake about it. He's proved himself of who he was. I mean, open a, open a sea and you walk through. I mean, my goodness, just look at all these uh, things. And though he already knew how his people would respond, he was fully giving each individual for them to prove to themselves. Folks, we need to prove some things to ourselves. We live in a day where we question what happened to some good families. I mean, this is a, I just keep hearing these things. What happened to some of those good kids in those families. What happened to that family who used to go to church? What happened to those kids who used to go to that church? Where are they? Or we read on Facebook they've turned in a, an entire evil direction. Why did they go away from God? Now perhaps we'll get a glimpse of how people veer from the Lord. However, we can only answer that. Everybody has to answer that for themselves. To live for the Lord is for you to know and you alone. For others, it is for them to know. So the message this morning is entitled, For Me to Know and For You to Find Out. For me to know and it's for you to find out.
Let's pray. Father, Lord, I just ask that you'd speak to our hearts today, that you would go and you would pick a way, that you would point out things in our lives, whatever is necessary. I do not know what those are. You do, and I pray that we would hear it, we would obey it, we would see it, we would respond right to it. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Israel had to come, I'm going to go through these scenes, come to a place of impossibility at the Red Sea, a place where God leads every person to at some point in their life, a place of faithlessness to step into the waters where God has led them to go through. And I am sure God was wanting them to step right into the waters of the Red Sea. If you go back and you look at some things, God was angered about them. Not Why did they not move forward? A place seen as no hope, a place of fearfulness, a place of proving that salvation will not come by your effort. God's anger is kindled with Israel because of their disbelief to follow and your regret to leave Egypt, the place of sin, false security, and bondage to it. Many come to church to find a new way of life, but they struggle at the Holy Spirit's calling. They are pressured and frozen between conviction and sure condemnation. Should you, like the Israelites, cry out to God in utter despair, like they did, at that moment, the cloud of grace that you would not follow, amazingly, turns between you and the enemy as an act of mercy. The wind begins to blow coming from the east. A picture of Christ coming to save you. It blows all night until a dry path is laid out for you to walk through in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5, For his anger endureth but a moment. In his favor is life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy cometh in the morning. But some struggle yet to walk that aisle to salvation. <laughs> if you want to think about it, a lot of times we have an invitation and there's an aisle for people to respond to God. Now, you don't need an aisle, you respond in your heart. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There's an action. You know, those people had to walk through that sea. And some struggle to do that. And it's not just a decision that the unsaved make, but even the saved struggle in a church service to follow God's leading. What is the Holy Spirit telling you to do, and why are you hesitating? Resting on the mercy of God as great and enduring as it, it does have an end. God's mercy is great and as enduring as it has an end. An end that cannot be known and putting your reliance on mercy only delays the path of living in the powerful, fulfilling life lived by grace. So you like the Israelites, make the decision to follow God across the Red Sea. You've made that decision to trust in Christ. 
You look back west. I want you to picture yourself there, but in the time with what we know. You look back west at the sea collapsing over and consuming your past life in Egypt. Exodus 14, 27, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to his strength. When the morning appeared, and the Egyptians fled against it, and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Now I want you to see the pictures here. And the waters turned and covered the chariots and the horsemen and the host of Pharaoh that came into the sea. After them there remained, let's remember these words, not so much as one of them. If they had the scriptures and understanding of today, I wrote down, I even wrote another one this morning. I had to write down that came to me. This scripture may come to mind as you look westward to your past, as you see that overflowing, and you see God taking care of Egypt. Psalm 103.12, as far as the east is from the west, that's the direction they move. So far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Put yourself in that picture, look at that. As you turn to the east, you see the sun rising, some other scriptures may come to mind. We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well, that ye take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. 2 Peter 1.9, Luke 9.26. And Jesus said unto him, No man, look, you're looking at the sun. Your back is against your past. It's all taken care of. No man having put his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Hebrews 11.8, By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should have to receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. Those, they didn't know where they went. And I'll tell you, when you get saved, you don't know where that path is going to lead you, but you're going to trust it. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him, of the same promise, why? For he looked for a city which hath foundations, who builder and maker is God. That's how we are to look. That's what we're looking for. We're just passing through. We're looking for that day. You may recall your rite of baptism. Buried with him in baptism, think of those waters. <laughs> Raised to walk in the newness of life. Then I wrote down 1 Corinthians 15, 54 through 56, looking back at those waters that come crashing down. Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin. The strength of sin is the law. I don't know about you, but I get excited when I look at that. I look at the picture. God knows everything he was doing. There was an exact reason for everything. There's a picture in everything. And he wants us to search. That's where you're going to lose it, folks. That's where people are losing it. They've stopped. Why do they go away? Because they've stopped searching God. They've stopped proving, allowing God to prove themselves in their lives. You know, then salvation, 
you know, there was a great day of celebration. The Israelites rejoiced. There's always joy found in true salvation. There's just joy. You, you always see, you go look at all the salvation you see in the New Testament. There is joy that comes with it. They rejoice. And they prophesied on the shore before they set themselves to follow God. God just, just, just worked, worked through them. Now, where would God lead them? We found out. Exodus 15, 23. And when they came to Merah, they could not drink of the waters of Merah, for they were bitter. Therefore, the name of it was called Merah. And the people murmured against Moses, saying, What shall we drink? You know, God would lead them to bitter waters and mead. Boy, what a cruel God, huh? No, God knows what he's doing. God knows what he's doing in our life. It's for our good. And he cried unto the Lord. And the Lord showed him a tree, which when he had cast into the waters, the waters were made sweet. There he made for them a statute and an ordinance, and there he proved them. And said, If thou wilt diligently hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, and will do that which is right in his sight, and will give ear to his commandments, and keep all his statutes, I'll put none of these diseases upon thee, which I have brought upon the Egyptians, for I am the Lord that healeth thee. I guarantee you these people that we see are missing are not doing that. They have the diseases of the world upon them. Three days after the journey into the wilderness, difficulty came, represented by thirst and bitter waters. I'll tell you what, there's nothing more important for you than your thirst for God. He wants you to be thirsty. If you are not thirsty, you will not drink. He wanted them to know what thirst was, and he wanted them to know what bitter waters were, so he could do something for them. Life here is full of difficulties. It's the same for everyone, but a proven Christian is how we view our difficulties that makes all the difference. It said, but the waters were made sweet, and they were drinkable by a tree cast into the water. Now here's a picture. It's not a random thing like uh, God looked around and said, mm -hmm. oh, there's a tree. Let's toss that in there. Like that's how we would do things, you know, look around. Oh, let's try this. He didn't do that. He knew exactly what he was doing. And he particularly threw a tree, had him cast it into the waters. The tree was a picture of cross of the cross of his son, Jesus Christ, who would be upon that cross. As cursed as it was to hang on a tree, as bitter as it was for Christ to suffer, when it was put into the undrinkable waters of life, it became living water to those who would drink it. Many pictures in the Bible. The woman at the well said, drink out of this well, you drink out of living waters. We are sure to drink of bitter waters, but Christ may be sweet to us. He, through bitter times, allows us to see it as sweet. Listen to this. I picked this up from somebody else. Disappointments become appointments to us proving God in our life. Those are special times. Those are actually good times. It's a proving it is something available 
for me to know, and it's also available for you to find out for yourself. I can't do that for you. There may be some good pastors, and we may say, oh, man, they're a good pastor or whatever. That's no substitute for knowing God. I like pastors because some of the, some of the pastors, I know, I know they know God, and I know God. That encourages me. The proving in life is for your confidence. You cannot go in the confidence of another. For you guys, I'll tell you what, I had a trusty ball glove. And I grew up and played in high school, and I played in the outfield and had this little tiny glove. Everybody would tell me probably that's not a, the glove you use in the outfield. Let me tell you, not to be bragging, but I did some amazing things in the outfield with this tiny little glove. It was a glove I hated when I lost that glove. A product to sell. We're struggling with this at our work. There's a, a vendor um, who, or a competitor who has this machine that's been out there for years. And we have something that's even better that could work, and, and we have a hard time because they just trust it. They even said the reason they like this machine is because they could cheat it. <laughs> they know how to cheat it to make it do what they want to do, and they just don't want to get away from it because they've proven it. Not as popular today, but who of you have a mother or grandmother that had an old cast iron pan that they used to cook with? A pan trusted and sworn by, by that the best cornbread or fried eggs would come out of that old skillet. Who, who knows of somebody like that, Graham? Yeah. It's because they trusted it. They knew it. They could depend on it. They may not be the latest, the greatest. As a matter of fact, some of these things may seem to be old, out of date, and not very pretty. But what is proven you trust and you use. You see how important it is that God proves us, that he puts things in our way to see how we're going to respond so we can look at it, how we respond. Turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17. Familiar story, David and Goliath. You probably already know where I'm going, but we'll read it anyway. 1 Samuel 17, 37, David said, Moreover, the Lord that delivered me out of the paw of the lion and out of the paw of the bear, he will deliver me out of the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said unto David, Go, and the Lord be with thee. That's 1 Samuel 17, 37. David's saying here, I've got this experience. I've killed a bear and a lion before. I know how this is done. 1 Samuel 17, 38, and Saul armed David with his armor, and he put a helmet of brass upon his head. Also, he armed him with a coat of mail. And it says in verse 39, David girded his sword upon his armor, and he said to go, for he had not proved it. You're not going to go somewhere into any kind of difficulty or battle without something you haven't proven to go. David said unto Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not proved them. And David put them off him. And he took, in verse 40, and he took his staff 
in his hand, his little bitty ball glove, <laughs> or whatever you might want to throw in there, and chosen five smooth stones. You think I'd, I don't know, to me, I think I'd have some like sharp stones or something, you know, maybe ones that go. Woof, woof, woof. Five smooth stones. And put them in a shepherd's bag, which he had, even in script. And his sling was in his hand, and he drew near to the Philistine. Now let's jump to verse 45. Then said David to the Philistine, Thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom thou hast defied. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand, and I will smite thee. Look at the confidence he has. This is not confidence in himself he'll find. It's something he's trusted in God before. And take thine head from me, and I will give the carcasses of the host of the Philistine this day unto the fowls of the air and to the wild beast of the earth. That, listen here, this is why. This is what you could trust. That all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. That's what we are to do as well. People are to know that there's a God in Maristown. There's a God at your work. There's a God in Thailand. There's a God everywhere. That's what David was about. And all this assembly shall know that the Lord saveth not with sword and spear, for the battle is the Lord's. And He will give you into our hands. Have you ever admired someone who seems so happy and consistent in their life? Somebody who lights up every room they go into. Somebody people look forward to see and to talk to. Someone who is caring, listening, and ready to help with special attention to the spiritual needs of someone. Now, I don't want to embarrass her, but I think of my wife. No, she is not perfect. <laughs> if anybody knows it, I know that. But I'm telling you, the day she leaves this world, the world will grow dimmer. It will. One might foolishly think that these people are like this because they have everything in their life turns to gold or they're bowling with a silver spoon in, in their mouth, that they have everything going for them. However, these people have many things that have gone against them. Don't you ever think that. They just know how to respond to it. They are just like you, but they have been proven in their life. They have learned that disappointments are God's appointments. God has proved them in their life by none other than their selves. They've proved it to themselves. You need to prove some things to yourselves. I can't do that for you. People who walk away from God who aren't following God are unproven. Actually, they've proven the opposite. It was for them to know, but it's for you to find out yourself. You cannot be saved by any other way but by yourself. You cannot be assured of your salvation unless you let God prove it to yourself. I've noticed in the scriptures there's not a whole lot that God puts these like handy-dandy lists that you can hang it on. Search it out for yourself. It's for you to know that's what you need to know. And if you don't let God prove that in your life, you're in trouble. 
You cannot live for God in any other way, but by God proving, God's proving in your life. You will not be proven by God if you do not seek him. So what next happened? There they're at the water of Merah, a time of refreshing, rejoicing, and comfort. And they came to Elam where there are 12 wells of water and three score and 10 palm trees, and they camped there by the waters. What after that? Listen to this closely. A disapproving of God. Exodus 16.1 And they took their journey from Elam and all the congregation of the children of Israel came unto the wilderness of Sin, which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after their departing out of the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the children of Israel murmured against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. And the children of Israel said unto them, Would to God! Where we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, where we sat by the flesh pots. And when we did eat bread to the full, for he had brought us forth into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. Did that they just say something very, very similar to that back when they were entrapped by the sea? Apparently they didn't get it. And they didn't get it again here. Then what? More approving from God. Exodus 16.4 Then said the Lord unto Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain rate every day that I may prove them whether they will walk in my law or no. David was a man after God's own heart. I want you to listen to what he says. Turn to Psalm 26. Psalm 26. David is an example of God's proving in his life, of him looking for the proving of God in his life. Psalm 26, beginning in verse 1. Judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord. Therefore, I shall not slide. Examine me, O Lord. And what does it say? And prove me. Try my reins in my heart. Give it to me. Prove it to me. Let me prove it to myself. Man after God's own heart. For thy loving kindness is before mine eyes. And I have walked in thy truth. I have not sat with vain persons. (laughs) Let's go down to this list for you. Neither will I go with dissemblers. I have hated the congregation of evildoers and will not sit with the wicked. I will wash my hands in innocency, so will I compass thine altar, O Lord, that I may publish with the voice of thanksgiving and tell of all thy wondrous works. Is that describing it? Lord, I have loved the habitation of thy house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. Gather not my soul with sinners, nor my life with bloody men, in whose hands is mischief, and their right hand is full of bribes. But as for me, I will walk in mine integrity. Redeem me and be merciful unto me. My foot standeth in an even place. In the congregations will I bless the Lord. You're not in church. 
man, you're off. You're not loving it. You're off. But at least you're at church. I remember those days. I'll tell you, when I first started, I'll just be honest with you. When I first started going to church, I'm just going to tell you probably what's happened to all of you. All the kids crying and screaming in the car, and the ball game's on, and I'm going to miss that, and all that flesh frustration, but I knew I need to go to church. I go to church, and you need to land into the place. When you come into this church, you're like, I'm glad to be here. I love these people. These people are my family. They're my friends. I can depend on them. It's like a relief. If you're not there, watch out. I want to give you Romans 12, 2 says, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Proving is important, and it's rough times. You guys might not have known it. You might have picked up on it because I was very quiet on the ride home. But I made a dumb mistake. I didn't put enough gas in the car because I was going to go to uh, Kroger. And while the ladies were, <laughs> I was really quiet because I was praying. Man, I did a stupid thing, God. I don't know if I'm going to make And I got into area. There's no gas station here. i got to make it to Hillsborough. And i got to go up there. I mean, that's eating at me. You might have known. It was a try. I tell you, when you get into those places, what do you want to do? Blame. Start to blame things or whatever, you know. It's a try. It's a proving. You're going to get out of this thing without acting like an idiot? Sometimes we do. Let me read something somebody you might be familiar with. A man called Jonathan Edwards. Ever hear of him? I'm assuming you do. He says, this is 13 resolutions to live by. Before I do that, there's a, uh, Larry Harrison is the one who put this, this book together. And so he has a personal testimony of him going to church, getting saved because his mom and dad wanted to get saved and did the routine but really never got saved and was off, you know, until he found God himself, until he proved himself. And that's his story. But he puts in here, 13 resolutions to live by. Old wisdom for a brand new year by Jonathan Edwards. Being sensible that I am unable to do anything without God's help, I do humbly entreat him by his grace to enable me to keep these resolutions so far as they are agreeable to his will for Christ's sake. I will remember to read over these resolutions once a week. Resolve that I will do whatsoever I think to be the most to the glory of God and my own good profit and pleasure in the whole of my duration without any consideration of the time, whether now or never so many myriads of ages hence, resolved to do whatever I think to be my duty and most for the good and advantage of mankind in general. Resolved 
never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolved never to do anything which I would not be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolved never to do anything out of revenge. Resolved never to speak evil of anyone so that it shall tend to his dishonor, more or less, upon no account except for some real good. Resolved to study the scriptures to, so steadily, constantly, and frequently as that I, may, as that I it says Amy Fine, some of these words are some old English, and plainly perceive myself to grow in the knowledge of the same. Resolved never to count that a prayer, nor to let that pass as a prayer, nor that as a petition of prayer, which is so made that I cannot hope that God will answer it, nor that as a confession which I cannot hope God will accept. Resolve to ask myself at the end of every day, week, month, and year, wherein I could possibly in any respect have done better. Resolve never to give over, nor in the least to slacken my fight with my corruptions however unsuccessful I might be. Never give up the fight against it. Resolved, and this is kind of what we were talking about today, after afflictions to inquire what I am the, what I am the better for them, what good I have got by them, and what I might have got by them. Resolved always to do that which I shall wish I had done when I see others do it. Let there be something of benevolence in all that I speak. Those are some pretty good words. Pretty convicting words. Proving with heads bowed and eyes closed, pianists coming to play. I've just asked God to speak to your heart in some way. It may be for salvation. I don't know. It may be for some decision that God's been putting his finger on that you just say, I, don't, I'm not, I just don't want to do it. I don't want to step forward and do it. What other things, I don't know. But I do know God's in it. He wants to prove you. He wants to strengthen you through these proofs. He wants you to become more dependent on Him. He wants your heart filled with the glory of God and, your, and God's name on the tip of your lips everywhere you go. As Jonathan Edwards said, some type of benevolence, some type of good to all people from his life. Where has God put his finger? An altar is, I consider it as the step. You may, just like they stepped into the Red Sea. They, you can't say you have faith and God opens the sea and then you say, I'm not going to walk through it. It goes together. 
What is that step? What is keeping you from making it? Don't let anything, don't let us, because we don't have an altar here and, a, and somewhere to kneel down, you could just confess it. You could just tell everybody, hey, I made this decision in my life. However God leads you to do things, you need to do it. You do need to do it now. His mercy is wonderful, but you're not made to live in mercy. You're made to live in grace. Thank you for your attention. I, again, I pray God spoke to you and that you be obedient to what he says for you to do. You know, my life, I'm realizing, I tell you, you, you step into ministry <laughs> and it's nothing but tests. <laughs> um, a lot which will fail, but that you just got to pick up and keep, keep going with and try to, try to learn and to, and to do better. And I'm sure it's the same with you. But there is a people, if you look at these, these people who, by the way, had to wander and die in the wilderness, they never got it. Never got it. Just looking for the next handout from God, I think. Blaming God for every trouble that comes away. Isn't that our tendency? Try to find some kind of blame for where we're at. Let's look at God allows these things. He tells us how we are to respond. And then he shows us the victory or our failure. And we pick up and we go. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your blessed word. Pray you bless each family here today. In Jesus' name, amen. You are dismissed.